Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 in that chapter. Words that uh, you will know, these words, you may have been in somebody's home and they've been on a, a plaque on the wall. I remember in my grandmother's house there was a plaque in the living room with these words. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. There's one thing sure about life, isn't it, that we're going to face change. We face change every day, especially if you write Patco. There are changes just about every weekend uh, to the timetable. And for some of you, you're at that stage of life where… Every time you look in the mirror, there are changes, fresh lines to decorate your face, fewer hairs on your head, I say from personal testimony, uh, our health, changes in our health, maybe changes in the shape of your body, or maybe changes in your circumstances. Some of you graduated this year. You started to work for the first time in your life. Changes. <laughs> you can get me at the door and, uh, and put me in my place. But change is something that goes with being human, isn't it? We, we're born into the world, and there are changes in the first three months. Uh, Naomi, our youngest grandchild, she uh, was on our FaceTime the other day there, and she's growing. And, and every time we see her, there are changes as she develops and grows. Changes part and parcel of life. And the people that, that the writer to the Hebrews is speaking to, they, they were experiencing change. They, they were experiencing a massive transition in their lives. They'd been converted out of Judaism, hence that's why they're called the Hebrews. They'd been converted to Christianity, and they're struggling with the, the, the great changes in their religious life as a result. They didn't go to the temple anymore. And there were no Christian churches to go to. Uh, there were no buildings, actually, that Christians had at this point. They lived and they met in people's homes, and, and they were missing. They were missing the temple. They were missing the grandeur and the ceremony and the, and the opulence and the beauty of the temple. They were missing the, the ceremony of the temple, the, the priests and the sacrifices and, uh, and all that went with the dramatic way of worshiping God that was associated with the temple, all of that, all of that was passé. They were missing. Some of them wanted to go back to it because they, they missed it so much. And it wasn't just in their religious life. It was in their own personal life. We, we, we gather from this letter that, that some of their friends, their Christian friends, were in prison. We know that already some people have died, and in fact, in the previous verse, we just read that, the, that their first pastors who had, who had taught the Word of God to them, who had been the ones to speak the Word of God into their lives, when they became Christians, perhaps, or when they were baby Christians and they grew under that Word, or, or maybe as mature Christians, for the very first time they got the teaching that they needed in order that they might put their roots down more deeply into the Word of God, even their godly pastor had died. And the author says into that context of change, both in our lives and in their lives, Jesus Christ, the same 
yesterday, today, and forever. And the words he uses there, these are words that have a divine ring to them. You find, for example, in this book that uh, the author has called in chapter 12 Jesus the, the author and finisher, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He began it, and He will complete it. So He is Jesus, if you like, encapsulating the whole life of the Christian. In the book of Revelation, that same idea is captured in this language, that Jesus is the the Alpha and the Omega. We would say in English, the A and the Z, and in American, the A and the Z, okay? So, He is the first and the last, the author and finisher. These are divine ideas. And they remind us, and these words remind us, in fact, that whenever we think of Christ, whenever we think of Jesus Christ, we must think of one person with two natures, a human nature and a divine nature. And we must understand that what we say about Jesus will either refer to one or other of those natures, but always refer to the same person. So, what does it say? It says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, that's language that's accommodated to us. I mean, God doesn't know what it is to have a yesterday a today and tomorrow. Only creatures know that. We know that. We know that today is today. This is Sunday. We're in church with God's people in this room, and we're worshiping God like we usually do on the Lord's Day. We know what today is. We know what happened yesterday. We know what happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago. We've read what happened 100 years ago. Tomorrow, we don't know what's going to… We all of us are going into tomorrow not knowing what tomorrow holds. It's ahead of us. So, we live, we live time-bound lives. God does not live a time-bound life. He lives in timeless eternity in which everything that happens is to God present before Him and known by Him and determined and planned by Him in one fragment of knowledge which he has at his grasp. There is only today with God. But he's speaking to us. And he knows that we live within the orbit of time and the flow of time. And he says, Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, that is in all of our yesterdays. That is going back on yesterdays so far back that you get to the very beginning of time itself and the very beginning of creation itself, and beyond that, beyond that into eternity, before there was anything other than God, Jesus Christ is the same. The Apostle John captures this when he says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was face to face with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through Him. And that statement of John 
is the echo of a divine soliloquy that we read in Proverbs chapter 8, when the divine person is saying this, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of His work. When He established the heavens, I was there. When Jesus is talking to the people of His day, He said about Abraham, who lived 2,000 years before Him, before Abraham was, I am. In all of our yesterdays, Jesus is the same. He's the same today. All that means to us as God speaks to us this day, as we're sitting in this room today. You'll be able to say it tomorrow as well. Jesus is the same today. But God is speaking into our, our limited view and perception of what today means. Because for God, everything is today. This writer to the Hebrews, for example, has been able to quote a verse from the book of Psalms where God says to His Son, today I have begotten you. And He's referring there to a time before time, to the period before creation, when eternally God says to His Son, today I have begotten you. He is born of God, as it were, eternally, without a beginning, without a beginning, without any outside influence. He is eternally of God. Today I have begotten you. And yet in the middle of this book, he can use the word today again. God speaks to Israel. He speaks to Israel when she's in the desert, a couple of thousand, you know, three, three thousand, more than 3,000 years from now, from where we are in this point of time. God says to Israel, today, don't harden your hearts. The writer applies those very words and says to the people of his day, God is saying to you today, today, don't harden your heart. And as we gather in church this morning to hear the Word of God, God is saying to us today, because to God today is always today. Every moment of time is to God, the moment that there is before His mind. And forever, forever embraces everything which to us from our time-bound location we regard as future. Forever embraces all of that. In all of forever, there is nothing that can change Jesus, nothing that can age or impair or limit Jesus. There is nothing about forever that will alter Jesus' love for His people. It is undimmed and undiminished. It is unchanged, unchanging, and unchangeable. Jesus Christ. And how can this be? The answer is in the text. He is the same. He is the same. He is the one who simply is. The believer can say in the words of an old hymn, I change. He changes not. The Christ can never die. His love, not mine, the resting place. His truth, not mine, the tie. Back in chapter 1 of Hebrews, we find it said of the Son of God, the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, 
but you remain. They will be changed, but you are the same. The reason why Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever is that He is the same. He remains eternal and immutable and without any deficiency that needs to be made up or any alteration that needs to be made to Him. So the writer restates these divine facts about the Lord Jesus. This is divine language we have here. We see it, I think, illustrated very clearly in the book of Revelation. So in the book of Revelation, for example, in chapter 1, verse 8, we have God saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. In the same chapter, we have Jesus saying, I am the first and the last. In chapter 26, we have God saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And then in chapter 22, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. In other words, all that you can say of God, you can say of Jesus because Jesus is God. This divine language comes from Isaiah in chapter 46. I am the first and the last, and besides me there is no God. Or in chapter 48, I am He, I am the first and the last. Going back to the book of Revelation, three times there is a divine self-disclosure in the book where God says, is referred to as the one who is and who was and who is to come. Three times. Twice He is referred to as the one who is and who was. Now, all of these designations of which our text is one, all are divine interpretations of God's own name. Whenever you see in the Old Testament the word L-O-R-D, all in uppercase letters, it's translating Yahweh. In the New Testament, lowercase letters translate Adonai, which is the word that they prefer to use rather than use uh, Yahweh, but usually Adonai is where Yahweh would be in the text. And that name, Lord, means I am that I am. Literally, God is the one who is. (laughs) He who is. His existence is taken for granted. It is underived. It is not contingent. His life is timelessly eternal, whereas ours is limited. He is immutable. We are mutable creatures. Now, if you think of all of that, and then you apply it to Jesus, let me just spell out a couple of things. As God, Jesus is unchangeable in His existence. What does the Bible say about God in James chapter 1? That there is no variation or shadow due to change. That text tells us that God doesn't change, nor does He have the appearance of change. Why? Because God is a perfect being. If He were to change for the better, then it would apply, it would signify that He had some imperfection or some deficiency that needed to be made up. 
Matthew Barrett says, in either option, God ceases to be eternally good. Suppose He could change for the worst. That would imply that He was perfect, but now He's less than perfect. Ask yourself the question, what would God have to add to Himself to become better than He is? Or what would God have to subtract from Himself to be worse than He is? This designation is repeatedly used by God and the prophets and by Jesus in His ministry. I am. It is proclaiming to us that He is the unchanged, unchanging, and unchangeable one. One of our ancient fathers, Proclus, says, change is a passion of a nature that passes away. But immutability properly belongs to a nature that is everlasting and that lives forever in the same way. You and I don't live forever in the same way. We lived in the womb. When we were born, we lived out of the womb. One day we'll die, our body will die, and even in the resurrection we'll be given a new body. We will not live eternally in the same way. But God lives in the same way at all times. You think about the, use, the way we use the word potential. We think, we look at our children, we look at ourselves, and we think we have the potential, don't we, to improve ourselves to make something of our lives, or we have the potential of uh, making a mess of our lives. That's a reality. But the idea of potential is that we have the power to become something we are not at this moment. Now, that word potential does not apply to God. Jesus taught us that our Heavenly Father is the perfect being. He says, your Heavenly Father is perfect. Now, perfection does not need anything added to it. And if you were to subtract anything from perfection, it would cease to be perfect. God is, therefore, the one who is. And that's where it stops. There's nothing beyond that to say God is the perfect being. He is infinitely perfect. He's the only mover who hasn't been moved. He's the only cause who is himself uncaused. This has practical implications for you, by the way. This is not theoretical theology. When God says to you, I am, it means that he is entirely stable, dependable, Christ is that in His existence. And as God, Christ is unchangeable in His attributes. Because what, is it, what do we read about God? God is love. We don't need to say God is loving you or that God loves you or that God fell in love. You know, when, when you were born God looked at you as her mother was holding you, and the first time he saw you, he fell in love with you. God is love. That is of his nature. He doesn't love more or less. He is love. 
Secondly, God is spirit. Yeah, that means He's pure spirit. God is invisible. Can't see God. There's nothing to see. He's not material or physical. He has no parts, no moving parts. We've got lots of moving parts. You want to you hope that your heart keeps on pumping till the end of the service. We've got lots of moving parts for us to work. In fact, we are made of two parts, a soul and a body. God has no parts. God is the most simple being that exists. He is what He is. That's what Paul was saying when he went to the Athenians and he said to them that God, the God, the real God, who's not one of your idols, but the God who is there, is in need of nothing. Why is he in need of nothing? Because he's independent. He's not dependent on anything or anyone. You and I are dependent on, the for, on oxygen to breathe, on, on the gravitational pull keeping us on the planet of of uh, our heart keeping beating and so on. There's so many things on which we're dependent for life and breath and being, but not God. The, uh, the, the theological word for this is aseity. It comes from the Latin, ase, from himself. God is complete of, in and of himself. He lives in and of himself. He, his being is self-existent. It stands alone. That's what Paul meant when he said to these people, God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all humanity life and breath and existence. For in him we live and move and have our existence. There is nothing you can give to God that he needs. When we praise God, it's not that he needs a boost to his morale. We need to affirm publicly together into the world who God is. Or you think about God's knowledge and wisdom. We would never be able to trust what God had revealed to us in Scripture and in Christ if His mind and His will were changeable. A changeable mind cannot make absolute judgments that are perfectly good and true. But God's knowledge is entire. God's knowledge, the, the knowledge that God possesses, is the knowledge of all the contingencies, of all the decisions, of all willing subjects throughout all of history. Imagine this. The decisions you make, and there are lots of decisions you can make, have good implications for you, for the people close to you, for the people who are close to the people you know and for the people who know the people that your people know that you don't know and so on, and it goes out in ever-ending streams throughout all of history. God knows every one of those perambulations of those implications of decisions and wills of willing creatures. He has them all before Him in one immediate thought. And He decrees His will with full knowledge, full knowledge of everything. Christ as God is unchangeable in His attributes. Now, why is 
it encouraging to us that Christ is unchangeable? Well, the author puts it in the context of these people who are remembering their leaders who spoke the Word of God to them, and he urges them to imitate their faith. And those leaders have now entered glory. And he's saying to them, look, the same Jesus that encouraged them, the same Jesus that they knew, the Jesus they taught, is the same in Himself. He will be the same to you at every point in your Christian journey until you die and you're taken to glory. If you think of those who ended or endured hardship or pain or persevere to the end, you think the Christ they knew will be with me to the end. It's this unchangeability that is the basis of our encouragement in Christ, in life and in death. Whatever their changes, changes there may come to our lives. And when you get to my age, any changes that happen are going to be bad. One of them is going to end up with me in a box. Changes in our bodies, in our health, in our circumstances. Changes in our fortunes, the fortunes of the church. Changes in the world's tolerance of the church. In all of these things, one thing remains. Jesus Christ is the same. And when we meet with rejection or opposition or oppression, it ought not to shake us, for Christ is still the same to protect, relieve, and deliver us. Now, in His human nature, Jesus knew what it was like to be human. Jesus was the gestation in His mother's womb. He was born of a natural birth, conceived supernaturally, born naturally of a woman. And He grew up the Bible says as he grew up, he grew in wisdom and knowledge. So, as a human being, he grew in wisdom and knowledge. Later on, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. Then he suffered and he died. He died and he was buried. And then he was raised again to resurrection life. As a human, Jesus endured change. But as God in His divine nature, He suffered no change. This is why and only why, when we think of Jesus, we must think of both His divine and His human nature. Because this is the only reason why He is not simply an object of our admiration this morning. He is an object of our adoration this morning. Now, Jesus, therefore, is always the same in His love for His people, always the same in His commitment to deliver His people, always the same in the grace that He provides for us in all of our need. One of the great Bible pictures of this is that God is a rock. You know, occasionally in our lives, we're blessed to have people in our lives who are so stable and dependable and, in their very best sense, predictable, that we may call them our rock. Our rock. By that we mean, you're someone I can lean into. You're someone I can lean on. You will be there for me. You're, you're 
I, I can always predict that you'll be there for me. Everybody else goes, you'll be there. That's a great blessing, isn't it, to have in our lives. But in the Bible, God is our ultimate rock in an absolute sense. The Scripture says that. The Psalms say that. In fact, 2 Samuel chapter 22 says that. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? In the Psalms, we sing, On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is the Lord. And Israel rested on God. There's occasion when Israel sinned, northern Israel sinned, the ten tribes. She found herself under God's chastening hand to the point where people dismayed about the future. And it was at that point that God surprised them when He came to them and He said, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Now, when we say Jesus is not changeable, do, do we mean that and we call him a rock, do do we mean that he is inert or static? Thomas Wynandy, theologian, says this, God is unchangeable not because he is inert or static like a real rock, rather than a metaphorical one, but for just the opposite reason. He is so dynamic and active that no change can make him more active. He is act, pure and simple. Now, there's an illustration of this. We've called God a rock. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul calls God a rock. He reminds reminds his church in Corinth about the children of Israel and their experience in the wilderness, and he says this, For when they were in the desert, they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. In other words, God is a rock, but isn't parked in some national park somewhere and cannot be moved. No, this rock is, in the language of uh, Thomas Aquinas, actus purus, pure act. God is always in act, always generating the Son, always breathing out the Spirit of love from the Father to the Son and from the Son to the Father. There There is a movement within the Godhead an action, the action, without any expenditure or any effort, because God is spirit, pure act, pure and simple. Now, how should we apply this to ourselves? First of all, we should give God the glory for this. We should consider that everything else in our lives Everything else and everyone else is mutable, changeable, fleeting. All the things that people boast about, empires, republics, princes, kings, presidents, leaders, riches, fame, pleasures, 
health, life, all of these things are fleeting. Over in a moment, the blink of an eye. We must not put our confidence in these. We must put our confidence in the Lord, the Lord who is our rock. This should encourage us. It's on that rock that the church is built. And the powers of hell may try to overcome the church, but they will not succeed. We may be buffeted and bruised and broken, but God will be the friend of His, of His people. The promises of God rest on His character, His constancy, His faithfulness, His unchangeableness. Brothers and sisters, you and I could face tomorrow with whatever it holds, just as we face today in this sure and certain knowledge that our Lord Jesus is the same. He is the same today. He does not change with the fashions of the time. He does not change with the, uh, the influences and the philosophies of men. He does not change in spite of how popular He may be for a while or unpopular for a while. He does not change to His people. He will forever be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is your forever friend. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You partake not only of our nature and therefore understand where we're coming from, but You partake of the divine nature and that as God, You are unchanging and unchangeable, and You are all of that for us, all of that for us. That before there was even a universe, within the Godhead, You had plans and purposes for each one of Your children in this room, and our days were mapped out, and our encounters, the ups and downs of our lives. You took into account our own willfulness, where our willfulness might take us. You, account, you, you made provision for that. And you made provision for that to bring us all to this service today, to hear this message today, and to be reminded that you, Lord Jesus, are the same. Whatever has changed in our lives, whatever mistakes we've made, whatever things we regret, you are the same. And that you're calling us this morning back to who you are to build what we can be on that foundation that is unchanged, unchanging, and unchangeable. Even you, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.